The Holy Gospel according to Luke, the 11th chapter. Jesus was praying in a certain place, and after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us. And do not bring us to the time of trial. And, he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend, and you go to him at midnight, and you say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread, for a friend of mine has arrived, and I have nothing to set before him. And he answers from within, do not bother me. The door has already been locked, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, at least because of his persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. So I say to you, ask and, you will, and it will be given to you. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives and everyone who searches finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for a fish, will give a snake instead of a fish? Or if the child asks for an egg, will give a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. The Gospel of the Lord. I invite you to be seated. Jesus is always praying. We see him praying as he senses God's call on his life there before the baptism. And he prays in the wilderness when he faces temptation. And we see Jesus praying before he chooses each of his disciples. And he's praying when he's healing and serving people. And we see him withdrawing by himself for a time of prayer when he's feeling all the pressures and demands of, the, of ministry on his shoulders. He prays in the garden the night of his arrest. He prays on the cross as he feels his very life slipping out of his grasp. He prays with others, he prays for others, he prays for himself. And today he's praying in a certain place and one of his disciples are with him and one of his disciples comes up to him as he's finishing his prayer and says, teach us also to be praying, Master, as John has taught his disciples. So he says to them, well, whenever you're praying, and all of these tenses are different than we usually render them in the English. They're it's ongoing. It's this ongoing action. He says, basically, when, whenever you are praying, be saying, Father of us, Father of all of us in the heavens, let your name be hallowed, let it be made holy, and let your kingdom be coming, and let your will come into being on the land as it is in heaven. 
and be giving to us our bread day by day and pardon us our mistakes for we are also pardoning everyone who is owing us and do not let or do not be do not um, you won't let be us carrying or carried away to trial but you rescue us from the wicked one we are admitting to ourselves if we pray this prayer we are admitting to ourselves that there are things beyond our control we can bake bread we can plant wheat seeds in the earth but we cannot make the sun shine and the rain fall and at least not at the right time right and we need help from one who is stronger and more powerful than we are. So we pray, don't test our faith. Don't be testing our faith today, Lord, and be delivering us always from evil. But the real reason that Jesus, um, or the real lesson that Jesus offers us is not a lesson about what exactly to pray for. I don't know that he ever imagined that people were just going to start praying the Lord's Prayer and that was maybe going to be it on their prayer life. Instead, he's trying to teach us a lesson about the character of the one that we're praying to. Is it doesn't matter if we pray, if we don't trust the one that we are praying to, and if the one we're praying to doesn't have good character, regardless of how much we trust that one, then the prayers aren't going to be very effective. So Jesus asked this rhetorical question. He goes into his storytelling mode, like he so often does, and he's, he's going to tell a story where you think, you know, one answer's coming, and then it's going to be something else. They call those parables. He says, can you imagine? Imagine this. There's a neighbor who comes a-knocking in the middle of the night on someone on his neighbor's door, and he's begging that the neighbor will give him some bread because he has an unexpected guest, a friend. It could just as easily be a stranger. Has come in the middle of the night, and he has no bread to serve. So he's out there knocking on his neighbor's doors, and the assumption should be, absolutely, we cannot imagine the neighbor saying no. Right? There's no way this neighbor would turn down such a request. Because when a guest arrives, the very first obligation you have is to feed that guest. And as soon as you feed that guest, you have a bond with that person, whether they're your enemy, your friend, a stranger, somebody you've never even heard of before. People will say in the Middle East, we have bread and salt between us, which means I now have an obligation to you to protect you, to be a friend to you, to be there for you now that we have broken bread together. Bread is the fork, it's the spoon. This is that flat bread that they put all the other food on and use it. You know, it's like trying to eat without silverware if you don't have bread. And it's baked outside on a communal oven, so everybody knows who's got some extra bread left over. So it's not like the neighbors go in the house and doesn't know there's going to be bread there. And the honor of the entire village is at stake. Not just the honor of the guest or the host or the neighbor, but the honor of everybody who lives in that community is at stake. It said that in the Middle East, a man will stand outside the entryway to his tent, if he's like a Bedouin, or in the entryway to his house whenever supper has been served, and call out into the street or out into the desert for guests to come and join him at his table. And if someone should come and join him at his table, he will weep with joy 
because God has sent him a visitor from heaven. Every visitor in the Middle East is considered an unexpected angelic guest from heaven. And it is a holy and noble cause to be able, to be allowed the privilege of serving that person, not just serving them, but serving them the very best that you can come up with and that you have to offer. It is shameful not to offer food to a stranger, much less to a neighbor or a friend. God is not shameful, Jesus is saying. God responds to our needs. God is beyond being our friend. God is like our father, a loving parent who provides and forgives and protects again and again. But even if the one that we are requesting of help is too shameful to respond on their own, good character and conscience, well then if we're pesky enough, we'll prevail. Gary Bird tells a story about a time when he traveled to Cairo in Egypt. He was going to visit some little girls that he had been sponsoring through one of these um, charities. And so he's traveling through these neighborhoods of really incredible poverty. And he comes to an apartment building, and he, they, he and his guide, he's got somebody with him who knows the culture and takes him to this house. They have to walk up, you know, five flights of stairs, and they get to this apartment, and the whole family, the father, the mother, the children, are all coming to the door, and they're dressed in their very best attire, and they're just eager, cannot wait to welcome this stranger, this guest to their home. The father leaves the room when everybody's sitting there and comes back with a six-pack of Coca-Cola. And Gary Burge says, I hate Coca-Cola. But the guide says that I'm obligated to drink no less than three. So he says, I did. And then as he left the building, he noticed that all the neighbors we're all looking out of their windows and waving to us from this apartment building. Everybody in the building was waving. And he later learns from the guide that in their poverty, all the people in that building have pitched in their resources, everything they have, their financial resources, to scrape together enough money to buy that six-pack of Coca-Cola, which is an incredibly expensive commodity. It is the very best refreshment money can buy. And he says, we were the very first Westerners to ever visit that building. And so they were all anxious to honor their community by honoring us. A second example he gives, he's traveling in Jordan with a friend. They're camping out and they're hiking. And, uh, they are sleeping in a 2,000-year-old cave. And he says, it's too quiet, and it's too dark, and it's too creepy. You know, we, we Westerners aren't really used to that much silence and that much big starlit sky, I guess. And they were hearing things. And so they see the bonfires in the distance of a, of a Bedouin encampment. And they walk out of the darkness, and they start to approach these fires in the distance. And as they approach, they begin to make out the people who are sitting around the fire. And as they walk up behind these people, of course, they startle them. Unexpected guests. 
And what they saw was there on a blanket lay a baby, and in the bushes a knife and a leg of lamb on a spit that they had been carving meat off of. And he said they welcomed us, gave us the best places to sit on their, on their rugs and mats, exchanged gifts with them, invited them to dine and served them food, and they laughed, he said, and talked into the night. That is ancient hospitality at work. The key to understanding the parable is that the story is of a man who is a friend to his neighbors. He's an honorable man. And he knows that the neighbor will share because that's what do. They all share and scrape together to provide for whatever guest comes into their community. You can imagine a one-room house, maybe two-room house, and in the front, on the, on the ground level, are the goats and the sheep and the chickens and whatever livestock they have there. And then on a raised platform in the back of the house and surrounding that area is like a, an upper sleeping platform. And this man is there and all of his family there asleep around him. This man would awaken his family and take every advantage of the opportunity to share an unexpected guest from heaven. Poor communities are honored to provide for the one who visits their doorsteps and who has any need so a neighbor won't get up because of the friendship, but because of his anadia. Adia means shame, and an means not. So in other words, to not be shamed, this man will get up. He won't bring shame on his entire village. He will not risk bringing shame on his family name. Bread will be provided, not because of the friendship, not even because of the persistence of the neighbor who knocks and calls at the door at midnight, but because of the honor and the good character of the one who was asleep in bed. Bread will appear. Jesus is saying we can pray, we can make requests of God, not because of how we pray or the quality of our prayers, or whether we pray in midnight or in the daytime, or whether we're even persistent in our prayers, we can pray with the expectation that God will answer not because of who we are, but because of who God is. Because God is honorable and good. And God loves us. If a human father, a loving human father, can figure out how to show loving care to his children, then God our Father will absolutely show loving care to you. So ask and keep on asking and it will be given to you. And search and keep on searching and you will find. And knock and keep on knocking and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who keeps on asking receives and everyone who keeps on searching finds and for everyone who keeps on knocking the door is open.